This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, I'm Carolyn Ford. Thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms podcast, sponsored by Dynatrace. This week, we are launching our newest series, So What? It is Tech Transforms Federal News Roundup. Every month, Tracy Bannon, Senior Principal at MITRE, joins me to unpack some of the biggest trending news topics in federal technology. Tracy, we've been trying to do this, make this happen for a while. I am so happy that this is our inaugural episode. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm really excited because there's so much incredible stuff going on and we keep talking and now we want to talk with others. And I'm I'm doubly excited to have a, a good friend and mentor with us today for our first episode, Katie Craig. Yeah. And Katie is a return guest. We've, we've had her in the past on Text Transforms. And Katie is Acquia's chief of staff, cybersecurity expert, and retired Navy chief. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be invited back again and to be here with you too. Well, today we're going to talk about, you know, the really the number one headline in the news these days. Um, we keep hearing terms like non-traditional warfare, which is essentially the fifth domain, a cyber, and President Biden's recent cybersecurity fact sheet. I did air quotes with that. Our listeners can't see that. But so, and and just what it all means, like why is it all happening right now? And that's, I want to just go straight to President Biden's recent announcement, this fact sheet that is, it's titled Act Now to Protect Against Potential Cybersecurity Attacks. And I want to go to you, Tracy, and just unpack this for us. What does it mean? Um, So uh, I believe it was March 21st, um, Biden, the, the, the White House released this set of guidance, and it is really practical general guidance. Um, and it really is focused on, on two different areas. It's kind of like for everybody, for corporate America, back up your data, use multi-factor authentication, encrypt your data. There's also a call to arms to tech companies and software organizations that says, you know what? There's a NIST standard and we have an order out here. It's order, uh, let's see, 14028. We can provide all the links later. But those two things, they're saying, we got to get real about this. And the reason that it came out now um, is that we need to hear it now with all of the things that are going on in the Ukraine. It was an opportune time. It was, we've had all kinds of security incidents and breaches and other things over the last year or two, but there are some shockers that are coming to the surface that made this very timely for the White House to release this guidance. So you really feel like this guidance came out because of the war in Ukraine? I think it was probably teed up before that, um, probably for quite a while. None mm. of this goes very quickly. Um, any kind of guidance that comes out in this way has it has good good generalized information. And I would have put it out a year or two ago, at least, if not before that. Um, so for me, for Bannon, a little late to the game, but I'll, I'll take late because it's there. And we've got to have a full core press around this. Um, 
I'll say the one thing that I found super curious in the entire set of materials was that there is a, is a call that says, hey, all of you corporations, doesn't matter how big or small you are, get to know your local FBI field office or your mm-hmm. CISA regional office, which is your, I think it's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. That's one that I've, I thought that that was curious because it it kind of meant to me, it was kind of a leading, a leading indicator that there might be more that's on the horizon that we're not anticipating if I need to have a relationship with the FBI. Interesting. Just, so this is a call to our federal agencies and to industry, to commercial. It is absolutely. The, the first section is, is a call to corporate America. Hey, corporations, do this and get to know your FBI field offices. The second part of it is all around tech companies and software companies. He doesn't necessarily directly say, hey, you government agencies, hey, DOD, hey, IRS, hey, any of your organizations. It is for the it's for the population. This is a this is a broad sweeping set of recommendations. Katie, do you want to comment on the significance of the timing and just this announcement in general? Yeah, I agree with Tracy that I think it's it's probably been in the works for some time. Um, Better late than never. I think, um, you know, the encouragement for agency or organizations and industry to reach out to CISA and FBI speaks to both um, pre-positioning for something else does happen and we have to coordinate. Um, it, it will be helpful for, for, you know, organizations to know their local FBI and CISA rep. But you know, it ties back to the executive order that he released on zero trust, 14028, Tracy mentioned. There's, um, there's, a, there's guidance in that as well to encourage. Um, there's guidance in there for government agencies to encourage vulnerability reports, almost like if you find something vulnerable in our site or any of our systems or services, please tell us. So this move towards transparency, it's new and it's not yet been codified. Don't forget, there are still some states where if you report a bug in a website, they can arrest you for violating uh, computer privacy statutes and regulations. So this is very curious because it's kind of out ahead of the legislation, Mm -hmm. um, but it really does point to, we need to be transparent. We can't have silos. We have to share the information across, especially if it's gonna, you know, if we're worried about critical infrastructure um, like we are. Okay, you've talked about this a lot, Katie, about like trust in culture, our work environment culture, and, you just said that if I report a bug, I can get arrested. I, how is this going to work? If yeah. we're being called to, if we see something, say something. And oh, by the way, you might get arrested. Am I, did I just interpret that wrong? No, you didn't. <laughs> that's the, that's the conflict that currently exists, exists and why government and the administration is making it very explicit and overt please get to know CISA, get to know FBI. I'm sure there's federal, you know, encouragement across the states um, to update their cyber 
legislation because, um, you know, the the law currently is like if you hack or if you use a system not for the intent that it was meant to be used for, the laws are currently written to punish the person who got in. So yeah. it's a sticky wicket, um, something that I'm sure they're thinking about. But to me, that's what I hear the president saying. Like, we know that we have been very discouraging in the past when you let us know we had vulnerabilities in our systems. That that time's over. We want to encourage. We want to, you know, have bug bounties. We want to put splash on our pages that say, mm-hmm. if you find anything, let us know. And so I think that's really what's um, what's being discussed here is, you know, it's time for us to be more trusting and transparent between industry and government. Okay. I see. So this fact sheet is actually a way or hopefully a way to build some trust back. It, it it restates what's in executive order 14028, which encourages more transparency, which tells the federal government you will uh, be more welcoming to vulnerability reports. So that is the direction we, we have to go in if we expect industry to do this with us, okay. with the government. Yes. Okay. I mean, at the at the core center of this is getting back to trust trust and and trust which is um but that's a that's quite a commodity right now and i don't mean that in a negative way i mean it's hard hard to come by trust um and trustworthiness at all different levels interpersonal corporate governmental government to government um it is it is messier uh, than it has ever been and yet now is when we need more trust than we've ever had or at least the scaffolding to provide us with that trust. And I kind of think that's where you're going, Katie, is that this gives some scaffolding. If we're going to be transparent, this gives more scaffolding to, to people to, to react. Yeah. I mean, there, you think about private industries, um, they're, they're not required to. And so what, what incentives do they have to be open about a vulnerability they've discovered, right? So it, it's it's going to take some time for policy and legislation to catch up, but I agree. The scaffolding, is it needs to be in place, so at least there's a means and a, a method for sharing the information, especially if something major happens. And do you think any part of this was driven by, the timing of this was driven by what we're seeing in the Ukraine or any any other catalyst moment? Yeah, I I do. You know, I think, I think we've seen this before. This isn't new, right? We can think about the last time critical infrastructure was, you know, brought down by cyber. Um, There's been several incidents in recent history. I mean, we saw the signs, the intel was there. Um, And uh, when Russia uh, annex the Crimea, they they use cyber also. I think all of us are seeing the impacts of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. And, you know, some of the the coverage, um, how how certain American social media companies like immediately shut down. And, you know, the fact that 
so much so much of our world economy is um, supported by cyber, by the networks, by internet protocol traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, logistics is impacted all of it. So there's so many ways to hurt um, a state or a country. And cyber is a very low barrier to entry now. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, what can you trust if anybody can get in there and start mucking around with your networks? I think the fact that, you know, Russia and Ukraine are at war, it, it's obviously a catalyst for why President Biden is um, paying more attention to the fifth domain, in my opinion. How important is the fifth domain in any war, but specifically right now with the current with the Ukraine. Tracy? I think it's, fr- I think it's front and center. Um, we're watching what's happening on the ground. We are seeing new technologies uh, like the usage of drones. And so we're, we're seeing six gen and, and other um, UASs, right? Um, so the um, autonomous vehicles, unmanned autonomous vehicles. Um, but at the end of the day, we're also seeing this dramatic impact on how we can um, right, the different pieces of cyber, how we can impact a population, how we can impact a country, um, how we can shake the foundations in, in very different ways. It's not only uh, mucking with the network, um, as Katie would say, it's not just that. It's, it's being able to find different ways to affect people groups. Um, it's interesting, my daughter did some, um, some studies in how social media um, could help with new, as there's new government uprisings. And she was looking in the, in the Middle East a number of years ago. And I never, I paid attention to it a little bit, but didn't apply it in my day to day until this Ukraine thing popped up on the horizon. And we started to realize how much you could influence a population. I mean, think about uh, the deep fake that came out in March uh, about Zelensky. Um, you know, they, it was very poorly done, thank heavens. And he had already prepared for it, but here he is in this, in this deep fake. And if you're not familiar with what a deep fake is, it's they can sample enough of your different recordings of you and your voice to be able to put together an algorithm of you saying something, right? And there have been some famous ones of Tom Cruise and other people that are, that are wonderful and fun. This wasn't wonderful or fun. This was Zelensky saying, Hey, countrymen, we're going to surrender. Uh, and he very quickly, almost immediately shot back. So there was that fast credibility. It was poor quality. And he immediately was credible to come and say, this is bunk. This is not me. But just imagine, imagine as those deep fakes get better and better and better, that, that, that's got to scare people, not just from a government perspective, but that has to scare corporate America as well. Katie, are you seeing people concerned about deep fakes or doing anything to obfuscate um, or to protect themselves? Or what do we do about that piece? That's such a scary, that for me is, I normally don't believe something, I go and look at it. Well, now I'm going to look at it and now I find out that my reality is, is bunk. Yeah, I'm scared too. I don't even know how to respond. I mean, my 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 mind is churning. Like, how would I validate it? Because I usually believe my eyes. I'm like you. I go and look it up. I want to 
validate what I'm being told or what I'm reading. And so these deep fakes are super concerning. I know that there are people who are less skeptical than I am, who just believe what they're, <laughs> what they see or what they hear. I mean, like even in my own family. So I do get very, very worried about that type of technology in the hands of very skilled propagandists. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of companies that I'm learning about who are, well, they're, they're, I don't know what the, I don't know what the right word is for it, but they are debunking the deep fakes. They've got algorithmic techniques that they can figure out very quickly if it was manipulated. Um, so- Fantastic. That's what's wonderful about cyber, right? Something happens that we didn't know or didn't have before, and maybe it's used for bad. And so up springs a counter force to, you know, fight for good. And so, yeah, that's how the, the, you know, cyber domain keeps evolving. We don't even know yet what the future is going to hold, really. So, yeah, we talk about the deep fakes and they are very scary. Um, and then I think about guys on the ground that are fighting with guns and, you know, dying. How does cyber tie into the kinetic part of the warfare? So we hear this untra- untraditional, am I using the right word? Non-traditional. 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 I was like, that's not right. So this non-traditional warfare. Um, so the deep fakes definitely like the psychological part of it is devastating. but. I feel like there's a tie into the kinetic part of it too, from, from the cyber angle. Yeah. Neither of you, Katie, can you speak to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, everything, you know, everything's enabled by cyber. So it's not any different for our armies and navies either. And, you know, like Tracy was mentioning unmanned, craft, autonomous vehicles, that is the future of warfare. Um, And when you think about like Navy ships out in flotillas, they chat. Um, I mean, to be sure there are fallback methods, but when you think about GPS and timing and how easily you can take down a force's uh, ability to fight back by attacking a logistics chain or, you know, um, disrupting their air traffic control. All the, all the systems, all the infrastructure that is facilitated by cyber then becomes part of, you know, part of the battlefield. And so the fifth domain Cyber, you know, being added to sea, airspace, and land, that's been there for quite a while. I Mm -hmm. think DOD has been dealing with cyber as a war fighting domain for over well over 10 years. Um, And so now it's almost like, um, in a lot of ways, it's still the same as the other wars in the past. It's just we have better means and greater reach, and technology is just making the battlefield and the war smaller, but psychological operations, propaganda, misinformation, those have always been part of the, the, uh, the approach. 
and easier to do because of cyber. Mm-hmm. It is, it is easier to entry. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a much lower barrier to entry. Again, going back to the deep fake mentality before it might've been a leaflet or a pamphlet, right? A couple generations ago. And I could choose to read that and say it's, it's bunk or it's real, but it's much harder when you are looking for, right? We used to turn on the TV to get the news and the news was true. Now, what do we turn to? And I'm not talking about news sources. I mean, what if that that, that deep fake, right? Getting people to, to identify that um, as early as possible. Now, Katie, you brought up something else about trying to reduce the number of, of humans on the battlefield. And, you know, it brought to mind uh, an example of a cybersecurity, uh, you know, one of many, many, many cybersecurity risks. If we're thinking about uh, a drone, for example, if we're thinking about unmanned, um, um, the ability to have, to have unmanned uh, weapons, um, right? So, so there's, there's talk about what that's going to look like in the future. There are a number of different protocols that are being discussed on what you can and cannot do. But imagine the situation where they send um, uh, an armed drone to take out, I don't know, a tank. Um, and from a cyber perspective, somebody taps into that and changes the algorithm. So it's not really seeking a tank. It's now seeking a school bus or it's seeking, a, a, you know, and that potential is hyper scary from that perspective. When we think about tapping into networks, so, you know, the core of all of this, our ability to rapidly identify, um, predict identify um, and to and to deal with cyber uh, is 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 an amazing thing that we have to double down on. And I know, I know Katie, you've been in this space for for a long time, um, you know, dealing with that. But um, how does that change, or do you think it changes? Do you think it amplifies um, what we're doing these days from a from a ZTA uh, and from uh, looking at the threat modeling? Does it change the threat model? Does it make it bigger? Uh, absolutely, it does make the the surface bigger, but um, arming an autonomous vehicle with live ordnance and then pointing it at you know an adversary's infrastructure or um, enemy uh, armored vehicle. I don't know how soon we're going to get there. There's just so much um, like uh, international laws about armed conflict that I think would have to be revisited. Um, You know, it's still kind of a, a gray area when we cross from cyber to kinetic, whether or not anyone, you know, the nation is justified in you in escalating to kinetic, for example, even today, we're not really responding or hacking back. If someone hacks us, we say we're defending forward. So there's just a lot of, nobody's really stepped out there yet to, to clearly define how using cyber with kinetic uh, impacts how that how that's changing the laws of armed conflict. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to answer that today either. But it's definitely introducing far more complexity 
um, and it's moving so much faster than we can actually codify and update laws and policies and treaties. And I think it's going to depend on the different nations, right? The different the different actors in all of this. Um, my question kind of came from some reading I was doing. Uh, I read a book called recently called The Kill Chain. Um, I think it's by Cameron Boozer. I'll, I'll find the name and post it out. Um, but that led me on a little bit of an afternoon Google chase one day uh, trying to understand. Um, and there have been some recent tests by um, by China that would point to them preparing and trying to figure out how they would do this, which got me thinking about, well, if they're trying to do that, how are we trying to hack into it? Or how is anybody else hacking into it? And you know, everything is about protect the house, right? Protect the house. Uh, and it's a, a, just a, a very scary um, slope, very scary slope. We all live in the same house, though. That's true. Amen. That's true. Yeah. And okay, so the other side of this non-traditional warfare that I found really interesting um, related to cyber and more is commercials response. So Tracy, you told me that Russia's running out of hard drive space. So talk about, like, I don't think they saw this coming. The commercial, the, the United States and I, it, worldwide commercial response and resistance towards what Putin's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, it came out in mid March. There was a report that came out that said Russia's about has two months left of storage space, um, and in part it is because of the dramatic commercial response. Now, the commercial response is bigger than the hard drive space aspects. It's bigger than the storage, the cloud storage. Um, it is 400 or 500 companies. It's a tremendous amount of sanctions and chip manufacturers that have pulled out, video game manufacturers that have pulled out. But if we get, if we come back to, I've contracted as a as a nation, I've contracted uh, with different CSPs to have my storage space, um, or even not as a nation. How about as big companies within Russia? So Russia running out of storage space is not just the government. It's companies within Russia are running out of space. So now they are scrambling, absolutely scrambling to figure out how they can deal with this. They are looking at leasing every bit of domestic um, data storage that they have. They're thinking about how they can seize other assets within the country to make it available to keep everything going. They're talking about what do we archive? What are we going to throw away? What are we going to worry about? Gosh, who who would have thought that my country, I'm sure these Russian corporations were not thinking about it on Monday morning. You know, I wonder what happens if we go to war with somebody, if uh, Google or if uh, Microsoft or if name a company pulls out and takes my space away. So all of a sudden, corporations are now starting to rethink who their partnerships are with. And they're, they're taking a step back and wondering if we get into a conflict what happens with that? Where where are my where are my international allegiances from that perspective, right? So it's 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 very very muddy and very difficult. But I don't think that anybody anticipated hearing that the country, the the businesses in Russia, were going to be run out of storage space. If they run out of storage space, what does that mean? Like, 
Are we talking infra, uh, critical infrastructure being shut down? I mean, what's going to happen if they run out of space? All of the above. It means really? that my text message, well, it means that things like, you think about when you use your phone and your text messages are getting synced, right? All of your text messages are not just stored on your phone. They're stored, there's storage space um, with, that, with that phone provider. So you're going to have simple things like the inability to text message, the inability to get voicemail. We're talking about some basics, things that would drive us batty, would have us all out marching up and down the street, right? Those kind of things. Um, how about the ability to, to run a credit card? Right. Or the ability to do any kind of online wiring of money or transactions. What about email? They got to store it somewhere. It, right. Things get stored and then forwarded on to the next thing. I mean, you're talking about kind of the fabric of how we how we act as a society now. Right. I need to go get my car fixed. Um, they'll plug in a computer now. It'll check some codes. They'll reference uh, a cloud based data service. They'll save some of that information. No place to put it. So we're talking about. A lot. Logistics. How am I going to know what I move from where to when and how I move it around? All of that's information that's stored somewhere, right? So communication, but like, mm -hmm. what, what about like the power grid and water? And Katie, I got to ask you, this is going to sound really stupid. Why can't they just delete some stuff and make more? <laughs> Yeah, no, Tracy alluded to that. They will. They have to, they're gonna have to start racking and stacking and prioritizing what what do we retain, what what do we write over and delete, you know? Um I don't know how much information is stored across the different critical infrastructures, but I do think logistics, commerce, a lot of government records will be affected. Yeah, losing your offsite storage, I mean, backups, all of them, um, it's a huge impact. And so it, it makes me wonder, what, what would we do as a nation if we wanted to protect ourselves against that, you know? I mean, Internet commerce is global by definition, but it doesn't have to be. And within the U.S., we have, you know, not new laws. But the Buy America Act isn't that new. It's pretty old, as a matter of fact. And back in the day, we used to, I don't know, harvest our own sand to make our own silicon, to make our own chips. There's something kind of good about that. Um, it not just economically, but in the security, right? And the provenance of our supply chain. So, you know, there's there's a lesson here, I think. If we really wanted to be self-sufficient, if we wanted to be sure, um, maybe we would host and serve and manage things like cloud storage locally within the own, you know, borders of your own country. I think you're going to see people being more intentional, thinking more about their corporate plan. What does their business continuity look like? Um, before they may have bought into, I can buy this from a global presence. Maybe now they're rethinking that. Now, I'm not talking about being isolationist, but I am talking about self-sufficiency. And so we are going to have to think about self-sufficiency and then maybe augmenting with those additional services. But if ultimately, if somebody cuts the cord, if somebody reduces that service, if somebody takes that service away, 
can we maintain? Can we continue to, to, to go forward? I'm sure that there are amazingly smart people that are doing tabletop exercises right now who are modeling this out to figure out that, or have already done it. Um, right. And, and that would be interesting for us to understand is who's really thinking about this right now at that deepest level. And what does those, what do those models help us to do? All right. In our last couple of minutes, um, what do you want to give our audience as a takeaway, either from Biden's latest cybersecurity memo or from, you know, the other things we've been talking about with the non-traditional warfare? And I'll, I'll have you go tr first, Tracy, so we give Katie the last word. Well, I always like to give Katie the last word. Those uh, <laughs> are too kind. So if I wanted some folks to take something away from this, it's that we have to be cautious. Uh, and there's importance in having trust, but trust is not something that you demand. Uh, trust is something that you have to exude trustworthiness so then therefore people, people can decide to trust you. Each one of these different scenarios was a different dimension of trust, right? personal trust on what they're seeing, and you have to figure out ways that you're going to deal with that, corporate trust in what you're going to do and, and ways that you're going to deal with that, but all of it undergirded by cyber uh, and, that, and that fifth dimension are kind of leading that foundational shakeup of our trust. So that, that's what I want people to think about, how be, be thoughtful about who you trust and when you trust, but don't be afraid to trust when there is trustworthiness uh, that's displayed. Over to you, Katie Craig. Thanks. Um, I would want to hit on two things. I think the first thing is um, you don't have to blow up everything you have and start from scratch. We can harden using what we currently have just by double checking our settings and configurations and just making sure that, you know, our security is as locked on as it can be. Um, no need in throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but do make sure that we're configuring and setting our capabilities and tools appropriately, right? Because um, a lot, a lot of times we don't even do that. And then um, the second thing I wanted to say was back to the trust thing, Tracy, and going back to the deep fake is remembering that we're still human and we're easily fooled even a video was just a series of pictures run together and there's spaces in between and so our eyes and our brain are tricking us into believing that there's motion mm -hmm. so we can't even trust ourselves sometimes so what i would hope that the listeners take away is just be mindful of the fact that we're human we're definitely fallible. We can't even believe our eyes sometimes. And to always be just looking out for as many data points as we can get, validating that there is trustworthiness from the, you know, provider of the information. And, um, you know, just to try and do the best that you can, considering how complex and complicated it is. Well, and I'm going to go back to what you said earlier, Katie. Remember, we all live in the same house. We do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time, Katie. And this is going to be fun, Tracy. 
being on our first, our first So What episode, Katie. Um, thank you, listeners, for joining. We will have links for you in the show notes, um, all, all of the different things that Katie and, and Tracy alluded to. So we also want to thank our sponsors at Dynatrace. You can visit Dynatrace to learn more about how you can digitally transform faster, smarter, and easier. If you enjoyed our episode today, please share it and give us a review. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.